Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy Thayer with KISS, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Mark Striegel. John Astronomy. The Talking Metal Podcast. Coming to you from the Silver Spacecraft. I'm Bud Friendly. And now, your hosts, Mark and John. Hey, John Astronomy here. Welcome to another edition of Talking Metal. Hanging out with Mark Striegel. How are you, John? Doing great, Mark. Good, good. Good to talk to you. We're actually doing this podcast remotely. John is at his home, and I am at my home. Uh, Did you get hit with a lot of snow over there in Jersey City, John? Absolutely. It's crazy outside. Thankfully, my apartment in my area hasn't been affected in a negative way. But I do feel for everyone who has to dig out, and my heart goes out to everyone who has been hurt or has lost their lives. Yeah, especially north of here, people got hit really bad in Long Island and Massachusetts. We got about a foot where I live out here in Maplewood, but it was uh, it was all good fun. You know, we dug out, and then the kids were playing, and uh, no major complaints on this end. But let's hey, get... so what do they think of the snow, Mark? What do your kids think of the snow? Oh, yeah, they loved it. They loved it. Had a, had a good time. We were outside playing all day yesterday, but... You know, today they were a little over it, so spent most of today actually indoors. Indoors, and, good. Uh, yeah, we should be uh, warming up tomorrow, and I'm assuming most of this uh, snow is going to to melt away. But let's uh, let's talk some rock. We have a member of Kiss with us today, which is very exciting, uh, especially Absolutely. in yeah, especially this year. 2013 is the 40th anniversary of Kiss. Amazing, totally amazing. Yeah, the thing is. I was thinking it was would be next year would be the 40th anniversary of Kiss because that first record came out in 1974, but it, it's actually the 40th anniversary is 2013 because that's when the band first started out. Right. I always considered the beginning of Kiss 1973. Yeah. Well, I think they do too because I saw them tweet something today say, saying celebrating the 40th you know, anniversary of KISS. So w- what a great time to have an actual current member of KISS. We've had former members of KISS on the podcast before. We've had Bruce, we've had Ace, and today we have current lead guitarist of KISS, Tommy Thayer. 
Absolutely. Tommy's a great musician, and he's a really nice guy, and it's just a really cool thing to get him on Talking Metal, especially since Epiphone just released the Tommy Thayer Spaceman signature model. Yeah, I talked to him all about the new Epiphone guitar, which is a really cool-looking guitar. We're going to have links up to it in today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. And we talk about that. We talk about his, you know, his history with Kiss, which goes back over 20 years at this point. You know, he's been been in the band for quite some time at this point as an official member. But his his association and, and uh, working relationship with Gene and Paul goes back a long way. And let's actually dip into a little history right now, a little Gene Simmons, Tommy Thayer history. This is Dora. You know the singer Dora. And right. And this is, I believe, her first solo record. And this song is written by Tommy Thayer, Jamie St. James, and Gene Simmons. It's called Rock On. One of my favorite ever phrases.
That was Rock On by Doro. Again, one of my favorite ever phrases. Very cool. Very cool. A great, yeah, a great song. And Tommy was really involved in this Doro record. He helped produce it. He played on it and did some of the songwriting for it, too, as you, as you hear with that song. That song, actually, I take it back. He didn't really write that song for the record. That song's actually an old black and blue song, which you may have guessed because one of the three songwriters is Jamie St. James. Very cool. Yeah, so Tommy continues to this day to be a great songwriter, and right now I want to dip into a song that he wrote actually with Paul Stanley. This song is called Freak, and it's off the brand new, well, not brand new at this point, uh, the 2012 Kiss album came out in late 2012, Monster, and this song is called Freak. That was a little sound sample of Freak by Kiss from Monster, featuring writing by Tommy Thayer and Paul Stanley. Great tune, great album. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We talk about Monster, we talk about Sonic Boom, we talk about all sorts of great stuff. We even talk about Vinnie Vincent in this interview. So it's very, very cool. Yeah, it's a fun interview with Tommy, and uh, just a big thanks to Tommy for calling in to Talking Metal to talk with me. We spoke last Thursday. And also a big thanks to my friend Jamie, who helped record the interview. He didn't help record Excellent. the interview. He did record the interview. He actually recorded it. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just yeah. like he helped on it. He actually did it, right? Yeah, yeah, he actually did it. He hooked it all up. We used his studio down in Soho, New York City, and got a nice, clean-sounding 
phone line in and uh yeah it sounds great it sounds great so uh without further ado let's get into a little more new kiss off of the monster album and then we'll go straight into the interview with tommy thayer just heard was Out of This World by Kiss, featuring 
Tommy Thayer on guitar and lead vocals. And we have Tommy on the line right now. Tommy, thanks for calling into Talking Metal. Great uh, to be calling in and great to be talking to you guys today. Thanks, Tommy. And we want to talk to you about KISS, of course. But first, let's talk about this great new limited edition Epiphone Les Paul Spaceman guitar that you have out. Now, I, I hear about these, uh, you know, signature guitars a lot. And I always wonder how involved the artist is with the companies in putting them together. Were, were you very involved with putting this guitar together with the Epiphone people? Well, yeah, with the with my signature the new Tommy Thayer signature Epiphone signature guitar, I'm definitely, definitely very much involved. Um, I wanted to do a guitar that was uh, a, uh, a a version of one of the guitars I've been playing on stage for, for years now. It's uh, actually one of my Gibson uh, Les Paul standards, uh, but it's one with a silver top. And I thought about it, and I thought that I want I wanted to talk to Epiphone about doing it, actually, instead of Gibson. A couple reasons why I just thought it was important to put together a guitar that was of, of great quality and, and, and great construction and, and great parts, but also something that's very affordable that almost you know anybody could really go to the guitar shop and buy. Um, so that was my idea. So I actually contacted Epiphone myself and uh, actually uh, spoke to Jim Rosenberg, the president, and we worked it all out. Told him what I told him what the idea was, and they were all for it. So we sat down and worked out the specs and, and decided what it was going to be exactly. And, and, and there you have it. Cool. Well, it looks like a beautiful guitar. And a question for you. One thing I, I, I noticed, like the bridge pickup has no cover, but then the, the other pickup has the silver uh, right. cap on it. Does, is that just a cosmetic thing or does it actually affect the sound of the, of the way the pickups are working? Well, it's really just a look uh, thing. It's an aesthetic thing. That's just the way I've always done my guitars. Uh, the rear bridge pickup, I remove the the, the 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 pickup cover, which is usually chrome. And I kind of got that actually from Jimmy Page. Uh, he always did that, and other uh, there was some other guitars that used to do that too. But I just like the way it looked, and the my original silver top uh, Les Paul that I use, you know, in Kiss, I've used for many years set up that way. As a matter of fact, all my Les Pauls are set up that way, so we thought that it was important on the signature guitar to uh, do the exact, all the little details exactly the same, uh, you know, because people notice that kind of thing, so that's why we did it on the on the signature guitar. Cool, and the guitar also, I mean, comes with a very cool silver hard shell guitar case, but also some other little treats, if you will. Uh, it actually comes with a, a guitar strap, right? Yeah, it's it's a great package. Uh, you know, not only you have the guitar itself, but it does come in a in a custom plush hard shell case that's silver, so it's very unique and and kind of goes along with the theme of the guitar, of course. And uh, there's a custom uh, black and silver leather studded guitar strap, which is uh, just like the ones I use on stage as well. Part of the package that comes with the package as well. Uh, too. So, and then uh, a real cool little certificate of authenticity booklet. Um, is included as well. So it's a great, great little package with the guitar and the case and, and the strap and everything else. So, and again, it's real affordable. I mean, a lot of times these custom, you know, Gibsons get very expensive into thousands of dollars, and this is uh, something that's definitely, uh, you know, affordable. You know, less than seven hundred dollars kind of thing. So it's uh, it's a good a good guitar for anybody to get. And is there a certain place online where the listeners can go to check the guitar out? Well, I my I have a couple websites. Uh, first of all, TommyThayer.com, which is 
anything going on with me, it's uh, uh, available on my website. But there's also uh, a new website, TommyThayerGuitar.com, and you can get all the specifics on, on my new limited edition guitar on that website. And So I recommend everybody check that out because that's where you got all the specs and the photos and, and, and all that sort of thing. Great. Cool. Well, we will have links up to those sites in today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. Fantastic. Now, now, I wanted to ask you, for, for 11 years, KISS did not release any new studio albums. Of course, there were some albums, but no new studio albums with new songs. And now in the last three and a half years, you guys have released two really great records. And I'm wondering, is this a new trend with the band? Can we expect <laughs> more studio albums on the way over the next few years? Well, you know, it's entirely possible. Um, originally, before Sonic Boom, Psycho Circus was the last studio album that Kiss had done. That was 1998. And... For a long time, actually, Paul and Gene had kind of said that they didn't know if they'd ever really do another studio record because, you know, they just didn't feel, for some reason, the the uh, the desire to, to go through and, and really put a great record together again. And uh, but this version of the band that's been together now for ten years, you know, with Gene and Paul and uh, myself and Eric Singer on drums, has turned out to be such a great uh, a great band. Uh, not only live and, and on stage, but also just the camaraderie and the spirit chemistry within the band is so good. I think that that kind of, you know, incentivized us to to get together and actually do some studio work again, and that's why uh, the band went in and did Sonic Boom three years ago, uh, in 2009. Uh, you know, it's just really, it felt right, and it felt like this band is so good. We'd been selling out concerts around the world, and, and in 08 and 09, and, and I think we just thought that it was time to maybe go back in the studio and do a great studio record with uh, with this lineup. And we did Sonic Boom, and and it turned out to be a great record. And it became the uh, the predecessor to Monster, of course, which just came out a few months ago. Uh, something we're really proud of, and just a great rock and roll album. They're both great rock and roll albums. Yeah, two amazing records, and. Monster, I don't know. I've been going back and forth which one I like better, Sonic Boom or Monster. And I don't know, today I'm feeling Monster, even over Sonic Boom. But I love them both. Two great records. And I wanted to ask you, when you get, I saw you guys with Motley Crue at the PNC uh, Arts Center in New Jersey, and it was yeah. just a, a great, fun time. Yeah. Only one song, though, off of Monster. Really? Yeah, you guys, I believe, only did one song off of Monster, and I'm hoping that at some point you come back around and maybe feature some other songs from from Monster. Could you think uh, Kiss will be back through the States at any point in 2013? I think there's a very good chance of that happening. We're actually going to Australia in a couple weeks here, uh, for most of the month of March, and uh, we're going to be in Europe for, uh, I think, the end of May and then into June. Um, we were just in South America in, in November, and I think we were playing four or five songs off Monster uh, when we were down there. I think what happened on the Motley Crue uh, Kiss tour, because the short, uh, the set lengths were shortened slightly because you had two co-headliners uh, on the bill, so uh, we didn't get to play quite as long, and I think that made it a little more difficult to play a, a bunch of new songs off the new album because, of course, you, you've got so many other things that you know that we need to, to play, but. Uh, Certainly, as we got into uh, South America in, in November, we were playing, I think we were doing four or five songs. So, wow, okay. Uh, certainly this year when we're on the road, we'll be delving into the Monster album a little deeper and, and uh, you know, throwing a lot of that stuff out there in the, into the live show. Great. 
cool. Now, Absolutely. you've been the lead guitar player in KISS for, is it 10 or 11 years at this point, right? It's been about 10 years or so. 10 years. Yeah. But your involvement with the band goes back a lot further than that. One of yeah. my favorite songs off of Hot in the Shade is Betrayed, and, and <laughs> that's a, a song that you co-wrote with Gene, right? That's true. Um, that was a while back. You know, I think that was around 19, you know, it was definitely late 80s, maybe 1987, 88 or something like that. Um, back in 86, uh, Black and Blue, the my old band, Black and Blue, uh, had we had just come out with our second record, and we were asked to be the opening act on the KISS tour um, that year, late 1985, actually, um, and it was the Asylum tour. And we were the opening act. We did 24, 25 shows, and that's actually when I met Paul and Gene, and actually at the time it was Bruce Kulick and uh, Eric Carr uh, was the drummer, and um, met those guys back then and on that tour, of course. And uh, they were always great to us. They knew we were big fans, and uh, they kind of took us under their wing. And I got to know Gene a little bit better than the other guys because he's kind of more, uh, you know, he gets out there and talks a little more, as, as you all know. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, and we were getting ready to do our third uh, album at the time, and we asked Gene if he'd be interested in producing it. And so one day, after we, one of the nights after one of the shows, we got together with Gene at his hotel and played him some of our new ideas, and, and uh, we asked him if he wanted to do it, and he said, I'd love to. So Gene became our producer on our third record, which was Nasty Nasty, and the fourth uh, subsequent record, which was In Heat. So anyway, the whole relationship built from there, and... and uh, Gene was with us in the studio, and, and then he asked me if I was interested in working on some songs he was putting together for the next Kiss album. Uh, so that's how we got together. And we started uh, first on a, a song called The Street Give, The Street Taketh Away, and then we did Betrayed. So uh, we did co-writes on those two songs, or I had co-writes for those two songs on the Hot, on the Hot in the Shade record. And, and uh, I thought they were real good, good tunes, and, and uh, that was an interesting album at the time. And but that's great. You love that one. And, uh, you know, we don't really do that one too much anymore. But uh, Betrayed was a cool tune. And, and Street Gift, Giveth was also uh, something that was fun putting together. And, you know, and the thing, you know, the whole thing evolved from there. And uh, soon, soon after that, uh, Black and Blue kind of ran its course. And these guys asked me if I just wanted to come work for them at the time, kind of behind the scenes. And that's kind of how I officially got involved in the KISS organization. And that was kind of in the late, well, that was early 90s by then, I think. Cool. And I read once uh, that you mentioned Revenge is one of your favorite non-makeup era Kiss albums. I think it is. I, I think it's probably my favorite because, to me, it's uh, a very cohesive record. Uh, all the songs really fit together. It sounds like an album to me. And I think that those are the kind of the records I like the best. And, and I think you got to credit somebody like Bob Ezrin because he's a fantastic producer and he knows... You know how to pull all the elements together to make a, a record that sounds like a an album, sounds like a record. It's cohesive. All the songs fit together, and it's you know one direction kind of thing. So, uh, Ezrin did a great job, and I love Revenge. I think all those songs are great, and uh, so it is one of my favorite uh, Kiss records, and certainly probably my favorite. You know, in the non-makeup era. Cool. And you actually you provided some backing vocals on that record. Yeah, I think uh, at the time because I was around and things, and and Gene had worked with us. Uh, they asked. Uh, us to come in and, and sing some background. So I did do backgrounds on that, I remember, and uh, a lot of those tunes. When I hear them like Unholy and uh, I Just Wanna and a bunch of other ones, uh, I can always kind of hear my voice in there because and, and, uh, we just did all the backgrounds. Uh, one day we went in the studio and knocked all those out. 
cool. And Vinnie Vincent was back in the fold doing some songwriting on that record, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he co-wrote a couple of the tunes. Uh, you know, Vinnie is actually a, a, a... I've only met him once or twice, and it was right around that era when he was in the studio doing demos, I think, with Gene, because they had written Unholy and maybe a couple others. And uh, I found him to be a really uh, a very nice guy, and, and uh, he was always very friendly and, and uh, you know, a really a, a fantastic guitar player, too. I mean... A lot of people know him as a, a real shredder, you know, playing really fast, especially on the Vinnie Vincent Invasion records and all that. But when he wants to, he can actually play a very uh, soulful, uh, you know, blues-based style, which is uh, he's very good. And uh, a lot of people don't realize that, but he's actually a, a, an excellent guitar player and, and obviously a great songwriter as well. Right. Cool. Now, your old band, Black and Blue, actually has a, quite a history. I, I was... Uh always um a big fan of that first metal massacre record which is really kind of a, a big album when it comes to heavy metal history and and black and blue was on that record well, along with metallica yeah. and a lot of other great bands yeah back then we had just started out i think we had made a demo tape uh we had a song called chains around heaven and, and a couple other tunes and we sent the tape out to a bunch of different people just trying to get something happening and, and we sent one tape to a guy named brian slagle um, and he was the one that started, he had a, a fanzine, I think it was called the New Heavy Metal Review or something like that, and then he put together Metal Blade Records and put out these compilation records um, that you had just talked about, and, and at the time it didn't seem like, I mean, at the time it was exciting that we actually had something on vinyl, but all the bands that were on those records, you know, nobody had really made it yet, or, or we were all really unknown. I mean, you had Metallica and I think uh, Steeler and... and uh, Armored Saint you know, was on there. Yeah, Armored Saint was on there, too. And, you know, at the time, we were all just bands, you know, knocking around uh, Hollywood or, you know, I think Metallica was in the Bay Area, but uh, they used to come down and play some of the clubs in Hollywood as well. And, you know, so it was just a cool thing just to be, uh, hear your your song on a, on a on an LP. It was a compilation. And so that's how it started. And Brian was cool, and he he uh, put our uh, song Chains Around Heaven on that uh, compilation record in Metal Massacre. And uh, that was really our 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 little debut, actually. So it's funny, though, you know, that Metallica and these bands have got so big. And, and But at the time, it was just a small little, you know, kind of a fan-generated uh, thing, and uh, it was cool. Cool. Now, your old band, Black and Blue, yep. recently, I guess back in 2011, actually released a new studio album, which I actually thought was really good, and I was wondering if you happened to hear the uh, Black and Blue record, Hell Yeah. Oh. oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I... Uh, suggested that title to Jamie a long time ago. Uh, Jamie, the lead singer of Black and Blue. Jamie St. Hear, James. Jamie yeah. St. James. I said, hey, you know, you should write a song called Hell Yeah. And this was before, you know, Vinnie Paul's band and everything like that, too. So I just thought it was a cool song title. And this was four or five years ago. And then he ended up, you know, uh, calling the, the new Black and Blue album Hell Yeah. Um, I think it's a great record. I, you know, obviously, you know, I think they're doing that on a shoestring, you know, and, uh, you know, there's not a lot of money, you know, for the production and for the recording and i think for what they did they did a great job i mean obviously those guys you know jeff warner and, and jamie are are really great writers they've been you know writing tunes for a long time so they had some good tunes and it's just you know but it's tough because any band you know like black and blue or, you know or any hard rock band coming out of the 80s and, and putting records out now it's, it's a tough battle just to you know to get them heard and get them out there uh, it's not like it was before as far as far as selling records it's really not you know, great for anybody these days because the whole record business has just completely changed and people aren't really buying records like they used to for a lot of different reasons. So 
Um, you know, but it, I think they put together a great record, and and I definitely listened to it a few times, and and I thought it was really cool. Yeah, definitely cool. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you about calling Hunter S. Thompson. I was on your website <laughs> earlier, and I just thought this was kind of a bizarre story. Um, you actually got his number and called him to, yeah. and you, what did you do? You convinced him to do some album cover art for you? Yeah, in the early '90s, around '92, '93, I was in a band. Uh, in LA, this was after Black and Blue, and I was just, you know, delving with some different projects. And I had joined a band called Shake the Faith, and it was really a, a, a kick-ass band. And we were playing the clubs in LA, and we were really getting popular, actually. And it was uh, a great band. We had some great tunes, and uh, we got a, a deal with a, a label called Alpha Burnett in Japan. Um, and so we uh, we had recorded some stuff, and our singer Dave Aragon had seen a a uh, piece of art that Hunter Thompson, Hunter S. Thompson had, had done. It was in Playboy magazine. It was this, it was this painting. Well, actually, it was a, it was a photograph, and I can't remember what the photo was. But what he would do is he would take a photo and he'd blow it up large, and then he'd go out in his backyard with a shotgun and he'd and he'd shoot. Wow. He'd blow the the uh, you know the photo apart with with his shotgun, so it was all tattered, and then he put some red paint on, like, it looked like blood, and it was just this cool image, and I can't remember exactly what it was in Playboy, but we saw that, and, and uh, I thought, shit, I'll try to, I'm going to try to call Hunter S. Thompson, and uh, so somehow, I don't know how I got a number, and, and he lived up in Colorado somewhere, and uh, I think outside of Aspen or something, and I don't know how, but somehow I got his number, and uh, I called him just out of the blue, right, and I said, wow. hey, you know, I'm Tommy's there, you know, I've got this band, blah, 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 and we saw the, the art that you did in Playboy. We would love for you to do this for our new album cover for our band called Shake the Faith. He goes, oh, that's great, you know, and I told him kind of what it was about, and he said, send me a, a cassette. It was cassettes back then, of course. He said, send me a cassette, and, and I'd like to hear what you guys are doing. So I sent him a cassette, he gave me his address, and then he called me back and he said, I'd love to do it. I love what you guys are doing. I love the attitude with the band, and uh, I'd love to do uh, do a piece of art for you, so... He, uh, we, we did this photo of, uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, the record was called America the Violence. So we got this friend of ours and, and we, we, we built a crucifix. <laughs> we, this friend of ours, this guy named Charlie, we, we, we put him up on the crucifix like Jesus. And he had a, like an Uncle Sam hat on and he was hanging on this cross and we took this picture and we thought that this would be cool because then we'll have Hunter Thompson like blow this thing apart with a shotgun and, and put all splatter with blood and all this stuff you know and uh so he went and did it and it was just really cool so that was the album cover for the uh the shake the faith america the violent record that came out on uh, alpha burnett records in japan and this was around 1980 or 1993 1994 and it was actually a pretty cool thing it was it turned out great and it was a cool idea and uh, we kind of pulled it off and it's just you know interesting now uh you know with the hunter thompson you know he's dead and uh and the fact that i Somehow I got a hold of him and you know coerced him into doing this. Uh, it's a great story and and uh, it was a cool album cover. So I'm kind of proud of that. Excellent story, excellent story. On your website, TommyThayer.com, you have the top 20 iPod playlist and <laughs> being... I haven't updated. I haven't updated that in a little while, so it might be uh, that must be from last year or something. But I got But it definitely has. A, it's a little uh, direction on on some of the stuff I like and and uh, that stuff that is on my iPod for sure. Cool. Well, there's a lot of variety, I would say, from the Beach Boys all the way to Judas Priest and a lot of great hard rock stuff on here and heavy metal stuff like Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, 
uh, ACDC. Do you, do you consider yourself uh, a metalhead? <laughs> well, to a certain degree. I'm not a hardcore metalhead, but, uh, you know, I grew up, you know, Judas Priest is one of my favorite bands. I mean, you know, all the old records, and even up to, you know, Screaming for Vengeance, to me, is one of the all-time great, you know, hard rock heavy metal albums. So, you know, I love Priest, uh, you know, ACDC. I think maybe on there, there's also some more obscure stuff. I mean, it's not that obscure, but, you know, I love early Angel stuff, but maybe The Tower, the song, you know, one of Angel's songs. I think that's on my playlist. I don't know if it's on that one. Well, the one I'm looking at, I don't see Angel, but I see uh, The Dictators, which is a great New York City hard rock. Yeah, Blood Brothers was one of my favorite records uh, growing up. It's just, you know, it's really kick-ass, and every song is just, you know, balls to your balls-to-the-wall rock and uh dictators was a great band um you know stars all these different bands it's funny you know because stars was a band that i think was uh managed by uh bill coin um who you know managed kiss back in the day and so right, I, yeah. every time i asked gene and paul about stars they like oh you know stars you know they you know they were just trying to be you know this and that and and uh but i thought they were really cool and and uh uh you know, we always liked Stars growing up. They were they were a cool band. Cool. And Angel was kind of in that scene too. I don't think they were yeah. managed by Bill Coyne, but they were on Casablanca. They were, no, they were on Casablanca. That's right. Yeah. And uh, you know, the funny thing about bands like that, when we were growing up, you know, we we'd buy those Angel and Stars records. And I actually went and saw Angel in Portland when I was growing up at the Paramount Theater. And and they they used to have these radio show, uh, shows called Catch a Rising Star, and they were like two dollars for the concert. So we go, we saw Angel and. Uh, they came out and they had pyro and all this stuff and they were really cool and uh but we had no idea that they really weren't that big of a band but our impression was that they were a big band you know but they really weren't they just you know they had a lot of promotion and advertising behind you know they had full page ads and circus magazine and all these things so as a kid you know you thought these bands you know they're big time but they they weren't really as big as we thought that they were that was just our perception at the time so that that was always kind of interesting and as as we got older and and uh you know, got to know more about this stuff. I realized, you know, bands like Angel and, and the Stars, they weren't they weren't as big as we thought they were, you know. And but we had the impression that they were just as big as all the other bands out there. Right. Marketing, funny. right? Yeah, yeah, you know. So it's that's funny. Anyways, Tommy, thank you so much for joining us on the Talking Metal podcast. We really appreciate you coming yeah. on to talk about music, talk about heavy metal, talk about your guitar, which again we're gonna have links up in today's show notes where everybody can go and check the Tommy Thayer, limited edition, Spaceman, Les Paul out, uh, available through the Epiphone Guitar Company. Absolutely. So and, uh, I really uh, appreciate that. And, uh, you know, everybody checking out TommyThayerGuitar.com or TommyThayer.com. And also all the latest on KISS is at KISSOnline.com. And, yeah, it's great talking to you guys today. Yeah, great talking with you. And, again, Monster just is a monster of a record. Great stuff. If you haven't heard the Monster record, guys, go out and pick it up. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. I actually got the the CD version of it, which is uh, there's a lot of great packaging and stuff with that. So it's worth picking the CD up. And that's about it. Thank you, Tommy. Yeah, thanks. And we will uh, see you guys on the road. And again, thanks for having me on.
Hey, that was Betrayed by Kiss from Hot in the Shade, a song co-written by Gene Simmons and Tommy Thayer. And believe it or not, that song has been one of my favorites since Hot in the Shade came out. There's a line in there. It says, it's the law of the jungle. If you got the hunger, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I often quote that. It's something that has lived with me, and I always really, really liked that particular line. I wanted to say we actually went and what that was the Hot in the Shade tour, right? That we or was that the Revenge right. tour? I went to see the Hot in the Shade tour in Mansfield, Mass. Were you there? Mm, no, I was not. I saw that in Philly. I saw the Hot in the Shade tour in Philly. I'm thinking of the Revenge tour. You and I went to the first day of right. the, the tour right. together. Now, so we yeah, went we to... we went to the Crazy Nights tour uh, show in Rhode Island together, and then we also hit the revenge tour together absolutely we hit the revenge tour together at the stabler arena near bethlehem pa i'm not sure if it was listed as bethlehem in the tour dates it might have been listed as allentown but it was uh in or near lehigh university in bethlehem pa the stabler arena and what was cool is we saw the very first official show of that tour and at this show they were still trying out some of the stage effects. So what was cool was that we saw what was almost like a tryout show. But I'm actually heading out to that same area uh, in a couple months to check out Alice in Chains, which Very would be cool. fun. But, you know, I wanted to ask you, John, you have done so much work with KISS. You've done work with current members of KISS, former members of KISS. Uh, you must have had some dealings with Tommy Thayer through the years, right? Yeah, no doubt about it, Mark. Tommy has been a very valuable asset to the KISS family. And I first met Tommy probably back around the official KISS convention tour. And then I do remember meeting him outside of KISS Unplugged on 54th Street. and Or is that 53rd Street and 10th Avenue, uh, the old Sony Studios. And then I remember meeting Tommy in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was standing outside the Civic Arena with my parents, actually, and we were waiting for our passes to come out. Yeah, yeah. And Tommy came up, and I remember it was pretty funny. My dad was dressed in a suit, and I I think he thought he was the limo driver. Either that or the masseuse. It it, it was something funny. But anyway, uh, and I remember he said, great shoes. I had these silver airwalks, and uh, Tommy commented that the shoes were cool. At that time, Tommy was the band coordinator. And what's really great is that he has moved up in the ranks to tour manager, and then now he's uh, in the group. And uh, it's just a very, very cool story. And uh, the the cool thing about Tommy is that he really knows all the parts to to all of these old Kiss songs and, and of course, new songs. Now, for example, I have listened to Kiss my whole life, but I don't know, like, the songs on guitar, drums, note for note. And I really do think that Tommy, possibly even more than Paul and Gene, knows the parts to the whole back Kiss catalog. Cool. Well, he was very kind to call into the show, and we are excited about his new Epiphone guitar, so guys, definitely check that out. I real quickly wanted to mention just two uh, non-KISS-related things. Check out our friend's site, truemetalhead.com, and he is definitely promoting Talking Metal on his site. I think his his site is a lot of fun. It's not your typical metal site that you go to to get news. It's not Brave Words or Blabbermouth. It's kind of got a fun tilt on things. So definitely check out truemetalhead.com. And also, I wanted to correct myself in episode 397. I said... Uh, 
Eric Clapton's song Cocaine was a cover of an old blues song, which isn't exactly true. It is a cover of a blues song, but it was a cover of like a blues song from the 70s. It wasn't an old blues song. It was like a blues rock song, and Clapton covered it and did it very very much in the same style as the original. It's all really not very all that cool. much different. So uh, it was originally written and recorded by a guy named J.J. Cal. So just wanted to correct myself on that. And uh, let's uh, let's keep rocking here. Let's end with some Kiss. Should we? You know, we're talking about the forty-year anniversary. Should we end with a classic Kiss song? Mm, yeah, I think so. How about something from Kiss Alive? Yeah, definitely. It doesn't get much more classic than that. How about Hotter Than Hell? This is a song that they played when I saw them on the Monster. Uh, Kiss Monster. I actually wasn't really. I don't know if it was called the Kiss Monster Tour. It was like the Kiss Motley Crew Tour. They only did one song off of the Monster record, but they did do this song. It's called Hotter Than Hell, and the way I understand it is they only played this at maybe one or two shows on the whole tour. One of them being the shows, the show at PNC in New Jersey. Nice. So yeah, let's go back to the classic live version of Hotter Than Hell from Kiss Alive, and. Check in with us on TalkingMetal.com. Send us an email, TalkingMetal at Yahoo.com, and write us a review on iTunes. Thanks, John. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Tommy. Here is Hotter Than Hell.
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.